And if you do that, it just makes them really crispy. It makes them a lot firmer. That's fantastic. I'll hello, 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 everybody to the show. Yeah, welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. That's a right. Podcast about board games, card games, and all the other games you can play in your very own house. In, on yes, uh, yes, yeah. Just uh, just season them beforehand. Yeah. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about some games like we always do, uh, but this time there'll be different games to the games that we talked about last time. Some of the games that we'll mention will be Freedom. Which is very interesting. Oh, Keyflower, which is very interesting. Tough game. Ratus. Ah, oh, mean game. Which is very interesting. Are you going to do that for every game? Yes. Space Cadets. A difficult game. Uh, Cosmic Encounter. A fun Again. game. We talked about that a lot. We do, because it's our favourite game ever. It's my favourite game ever. Which is basically both of us. <laughs> I basically, If I have an opinion, it's basically... I don't know what Our my... Opinions. People ask me what my favourite game is. You told and me I it was Agricola. Well, yeah, but also Cosmic Encounter is like the uh, kind of the default recommendation. It is. But it's if... like, what's my favourite game? My favourite game with new people? My favourite game to recommend? And I don't know. Well, you did tell me Agricola, so I'm going with that. That's fine. But, that's a good answer. So uh, people at home should know that Caverna the Cave Farmers, by the designer yeah. of Agricola, uh, Uwe Rosenberg, um, has is landing in shops, I think, this month. And it's basically his sequel to Agricola. And a respected board game source, Tom Vassell, who we trust quite a bit, says it's basically like Agricola, but better. So much so, he's now sold his copy of Agricola. Which is uh, an amazing position to take. But Tom knows a lot about games and is pretty good at games. Most so. of our opinions are stolen from him, that's Shh. not true. But uh, that's, no, it's interesting for someone to say that and, you know, immediately act on it. Yeah. Uh, also, we're going to talk about Dominion and trains, I guess. And Wait, we... I should say one more thing what? about Cavana. Uh, Okay. Which is the one of the big problems with Agricola, which is a game about running a farm, if you're not aware. Very difficult, stressful game. Is you need to have one of everything. You know, you need to have a, one sheep, one cow, one vegetable, one uh, to score points. Grain. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you're penalised massively. Yes. So what Caverna does uh, is, in Tom's words, you could be king of the sheep and just have like thirty sheep in your cave, um, which is both ominous and and uh, exciting and entertaining. And you won't be penalised too much. Do they fit? Are they all like rubbing up against each other? You do, no, think of it. It's like a ball pit. You can just jump in and there's so much sort of wool that you can just... You're, you're, you're safe. Wouldn't that be a great cave? I'd like to point out that during the whole intro, Quinns has been swaying his hips like a pendulum. <laughs> do, you, do you know that you're doing this? Uh, I'm now doing it. Look. I'm a naturally <laughs> sexual person. And, I didn't think and... it was that. I thought it was just because it's very warm in here. It is very warm. And I thought this was how you like aerate or something. Oh, what? Well, sort of like how I make sure air gets to my uh, body. Um, uh, we're also going to be answering your questions, everybody. And uh, and then finally, yes. uh, like a train pulling into a station, we will arrive at uh, our game of the podcast, which is Descent, which is a mm. marvellous, glossy game of heroes running through a dungeon uh, where one player plays the antagonist and controls all the monsters. Um, Paul and yes. I have played an awful lot of Descent, and we'll be answering your Descent-related questions and discussing why we love it, and why, yeah. we're, why we're still playing it, and what our opinions on are, are on it after playing it for so long. I got there in the end. And, well, balance as well. We talked about balance a bit in... Uh, we asked for questions about... And this is why. This is the balance. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll, we'll to just that. get to... We'll, it'll all make sense. We'll arrive. <laughs> And now the weekend games with Shut Up and Sit Down. What have you been playing recently, Paul? I don't know. Freedom. Freedom. That sounds like an exciting game. Paul, is it exciting? Well, <laughs> Freedom's a good game. Yes. Uh, we. I. I don't want to talk about it too much because we're going to put up a, a review where we'll talk in depth. 
Um, it's really interesting. It is kind of tense and exciting, and I wonder how much of that comes from the theme, because Freedom is a game, a bit like Pandemic, I guess, of uh, a game of a lot of cubes where you play cooperatively with one to four players around the board. And the idea of Freedom is you need to evacuate a whole bunch of slaves from America to Canada. And you play it in a similar way to Pandemic, where you all have an individual role, and your role allows you to do a particular thing such as raise more money or move people a little faster. And you want to obviously save these people from slavery. And a bit like Pandemic, it's kind of a game of managing ever-growing piles of cubes, but the cubes are people. Yeah. And Pandemic, obviously, you're fighting against a bad thing, and it's exciting and heroic, and Freedom felt kind of desperate, to Yeah, be well, Freedom is immediately quite tricky. Um, Pandemic at least gives you the satisfying thing of, yeah, Pandemic's a game about fighting disease, if you're not aware of it. We would mm. recommend it as probably one of our top three games to start your gaming collection. It's a, it's a very well-recommended co-op game, by yeah. the way, because so, games don't have to be people fighting each other. Freedom the Underground Railroad did, yeah, strike me as a little more desperate, because in Pandemic, it's, you, can, you can have a heroic turn. You can say, don't worry, everyone, I'll fly to France and I'll cure almost all the disease there, and everyone gives you a pat on the back and you feel like a hero. In Underground Railroad, you know, you can... Start taking people from the plantations, you know, like upward north, you know, towards uh, uh, sort of cities like New York and Boston. But you never quite have that satisfaction because you can only creep things forward. Mm. And the result is what begins as a sort of virgin empty board would by about a third of the way through the game is clogged with slaves. Can you move slaves north? No, you can't because there are more slaves there hiding in every box and basket and barrel in, you know, Miss New York and Boston. Yeah, and, and if you move any more slaves in there, the slave catchers will show yep. up. Yeah, triggers them, moving people around, causes slave uh, catchers to run about. And, the and then you realise is... you have no money. Oh yes, no, f- raising money. Raising money was our biggest problem, probably. Mm. Um, and in the game! Huh. Um Yeah, no, it was it was good, and it was really interesting, and it I felt like, like it gave us a lot to think about, but I I did feel... Thematically or mechanically? Well, both, but thematically it was just a bit desperate because whenever you fail to save a person, whenever they're caught or, uh, you know, robbed from you, they're basically... what They return to their life of slavery, which is... Obviously it's a game and the, the concept is 150 years old, fingers crossed, but it's quite it's quite sobering yeah, compared to a is. lot of things that we'd usually play and talk about. And I think the... There's a lot of like um very uh, very nice uh, touches on it, like the fact that the slaves aren't you know little slave meeples or something. They're just tan cubes. Mm. They're entirely abstract, and you're moving a tan. Cu- it's so abstract the act of taking a tan cube from a card labeled slave ship and putting it in a plantation in Texas, for example. Uh, you just your brain fills in all the gaps, and yes. when the plantation is full and the game tells you take the cubes and put them in the lost slaves tracker, which gradually fills up and if it fills, you lose the game. Your head goes to, well, hang on, what's happened to those slaves that mean they're lost? You know, at what point from them arriving on the shores of America and failing to arrive at the plantations, what happens to those slaves? Yeah, um, and that's, uh, I don't know, that's not a thing that we always think about in games, but it's its interesting because at that time... Slavery, no. Well, no, this this sort of theme. But at that time, I guess it would have been that... App- that abstract for some people it would have been uh, some numbers on a balance sheet yeah I suppose which is dark 
dark. Let's move on to something of cheery. All the other games yes, that we're no, looking we'll, at... We'll cover Freedom in a bit more depth very soon. We will. The other games we're looking at the today, I think, are all linked uh, by the fact that they made us swear like sailors. Are you thinking of a game called Keyflower? I am, but I'm also thinking of the others that we're looking at. You'll see what I mean as we get through them. Well, so, let's let's start with probably the one that made us swear the most. Yes, Keyflower. What, what is Keyflower, Well, Quins? described by um, a friend of ours as a winsome-looking game. A friend of ours overheard us playing this. Um, she was in the room, and uh, and she... Couldn't get behind. Couldn't understand the uh, the contrast of this this cheerful game with a cool key flower with a nice boat on the front and all lots of hexagons with nice flowers and trees on. And we were just calling each other. I'm gonna I'm gonna beep this, but incredible <laughs> from space. Um, and uh, yeah, so key flower is a game where you all build a village, and it's but it's very simply made up in four seasons: spring, summer, autumn, and winter. And you're going to have some workers who are hidden behind a screen. These are little worker tokens, um, small wooden men. And you can do two different things with these workers. You can send them off to work on a tile, which means you put them on the tile and you get the benefit. So, for example, if you send them to a woodcutter's, they'll bring home wood. Or you can use them to bid for a tile. So each season, a bunch of tiles get put in the middle. And if you bid for a tile, like, for example, I might send someone to work on the woodcutter. Paul instead sends his, his men to bid for the woodcutter. And at the end of spring, if Paul's bid is the highest, then that token, uh, that, that hexagon, will be taken back home to Paul and he'll modularly assemble it as part of his village. Mm. So in all future seasons, summer, autumn and winter, if we want to use the woodcutter, we're sending people to Paul's village, which means at the end of the round, he gets them instead of us getting them back, which, yeah. is, which is a big thing to consider. But I was thinking about this and I realised why it made us swear so much. Traditionally, in these, what are called worker placement games, um... You know, somebody will put a worker on a slot and the slot's gone. Keyflower does something much meaner because you can always pretty much outbid someone. Like, if, if, if you want the woodcutter shop, I can always send more people and screw you over. I can send people to what would otherwise be your slots to screw yeah. you over. You can send people to my village. Everything you do is... Uh, it's not a binary, oh no, now other players can't do it. It's, oh, it's just way more expensive you for You don't them lock now. things out. You just make people's lives harder. And yes. that, that was the interesting thing, is as you assemble... Uh, there's not that exclusivity of locking things out that you get in some worker placement games. As you assemble your own village, people can send their dudes into your village to use your resources. You can send your dudes into their villages. And as you say, when you bid on things that appear in the middle of the, in the, middle of the table... Uh, someone can outbid you if they feel they have that many meeples and they they can they can spare those guys and you can change bids as well which is interesting if you're outbid you can shift those meeples somewhere else mm. so you get to um you don't get to just make a choice and stick with it you get to change your mind a bit you get to trump other people that's what got us so angry as we were constantly <laughs> treading on each other's toes yeah and which by, was good it was interesting as well as by the the game is simple enough that by winter we could look at each other's sheets and know what was important yeah i remember the last round where you'd managed to win the bid for a cartwright yeah. Uh, so you know you you had now this pe- these people who could move, use wagons to move resources around because I had a barn and I was going to put everything in my barn yes as and, you would and what actually happened is pretty much Paul's family woke up in winter and went to their cartwright and found it was just swarming with mine and Tom's people yep. who'd come over from neighbouring villages because they died you had a cartwright and we're using yep. the cartwright now Paul sorry yeah and I don't think and you I got any got no use out of the but all those people <sighs> might have stayed in your village. What I like about it, um, well, I like a couple of things about it. The first of which is that because all these hexagons have their own pictures on, and as mm. you upgrade them, the pictures change. Yeah. Which is so beautiful that, you know, your village may or may not start to feel like a real place, but it'll certainly feel colourful. Yes. Which is great as you move things down rows. But what I like most is that we've looked at a lot of really good 
uh, European style games they're called with lots of wood and lots of heavy strategy like uh, we recently reviewed Zolkin the Mayan calendar game of cogs which will t- cause your brain to turn to jelly we reviewed Terra Mystica a game of terraforming oh, and God. building villages which will yeah. call your brain, cause your brain to turn to mud Keyflower is more light hearted I mean it's still very very difficult it's still horribly d- hard to try and do well but you laugh more you'll swear more there's more colour like it has a place in my collection despite yes. the fact that the competition is so strong I, I very much like the fact it felt a lot more interactive than other games because of how we played it um, also even though I think when we started I wasn't quite sure what I was doing certainly by the end of the first or second turn I got the whole game Yeah, and I understood how everything fitted together and it was, for all the possible complexity in it, it's actually quite easy to play. Yeah, and absolutely. it would be like, uh, if I was well, trying to... Well, you say that. We did, like... Well, we were, easy we to all understand. Had, usually, I, I, I'm, I'm used to being a player who everyone else is watching going, Quinn's, come on, take your turn, and I, my brain isn't functioning. <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed that we all had a couple of turns like that. And we all, because we all, were all in the same boat, that about every once every five minutes, one of us would have a turn that would go, oh, oh God, oh, God, hang on, guys, no, guys. Yeah. And it was fun, because the other two of us would then bully that player. But we, because we were all sharing this, it was all like, yeah, yeah. No, I was there in spring. Don't worry. I feel you, but I'm still going to make fun of you. And that's that's because you're, you're always presented with a, a number of different ways you can play. And I mean, I don't know what you were always thinking about, but I was looking at the resources I could make with certain buildings and then what other buildings could process those resources into. Yeah, like yeah, absolutely. Wood, turning wood into stuff in the sawmill. And then obviously you see what everyone else is doing and you think, well, I could take that stuff away from them or I could let them claim it, but then I could send dudes to their village to use it. <laughs> you yeah. know, you've, you've always got options. If I have a problem with it, it's that at a glance, because the whole everyone's village is two-dimensional and you need to look and read the tiles, it's annoying that you can't figure out what someone's game plan is as at a glance. You have to spend 30, 40 seconds looking at their board mm. and going, okay, you can get mm. a ton of... They could get a ton of points if they get enough wood to this base. How do I stop that? And is it worth me stopping that? Whereas with Terra Mystica, at least, you can look at the board and immediately go, oh, they'll be screwed if I do this. Yeah, I suppose so. I, didn't, I don't know. I didn't feel that way. Uh, I guess... I'm... But I was rubbish. I came last. You didn't. So... You came second. Tom Did I? Last. Did yeah. he? Oh, good. <laughs> That's, uh, let's move on. So Keyfly, good. And we're very excited to look at... Uh, the Farmer's expansion to Cleaflower as well, oh, which yeah. has little wooden pigs yeah. and looks just magnificent, um, making a colourful game even more colourful. What's next on the list? What is next on the list? Rattus! Oh. Rattus, a game of rats. I came last in Rattus. You did come last in Rattus. Because uh, uh, because me and Tom went mental. Rattus, do you want to do Rattus? Rattus is a game about the plague in medieval Europe, which is nice because <laughs> we like plagues here at Shut Up and Sit Down. Uh, what every player has is a collection of uh, followers, a collection of a group of people, I guess. You could be a religious group. It's not really clear. It's not explained, no. But you're a colour. And you drop your, <laughs> your cube followers around Europe. Um, and walking around Europe is a figure, I suppose, that represents the plague. And as it moves from space to space, it triggers whatever tokens are currently in that space. And there'll all be plague tokens. Those plague tokens will tell you which people in that area will die this turn. And that could depend upon things like how many cubes there are in an area. If you fill it up with people, it's more likely that people will actually be killed. Um, but it may also depend on the roles that you're currently playing. And this is the thing about Rattus. Rattus is a game of ever-changing roles. There's about what, seven or, eight six, or something. Six. six. Um, and on your turn, you can grab one of them from another player. You can play one if you already have one. So they shuffle around all the time. And each of those roles lets you do a special thing, like uh, move a 
one of your people to safety in the castle or move your people from one region to another or look at two rats plague tokens and swap them and uh or just push plague or push plague tokens away and go away go away it's really a game of shifting your uh your little cubes to safe areas and trying to avoid triggering the plague trying to move the plague towards other people using the rolls to do this but also being aware that whenever you flip one of those hidden plague tokens when you trigger one it could uh, have your role on it, and if it has your role on it, one of your people dies. Yeah, so uh, if you it's have... It's just hor- I was rubbish at it. It was rubbish. <laughs> it's a really interesting light strategy game. So if you have, let's say, you like the peasants because they let you place more cubes on the board every turn, which is obviously fantastic. Yeah. And the knight lets you push the plague token further away, which is fantastic. Yeah. But then if somebody moves the plague token into your district and they flip it and it has two witch icons and a knight icon, you're going to be decimated. And what's important is that when you take these cards, when you go, oh, I want the peasant's power, and the monk, and the merchant, and the knight, and and maybe you have all five, you can't get rid of them until other players take them away from you. And occasionally they won't want to, because they'll see you (laughs) amassing all these things, and they know that when they flip plague tokens in your areas, it's more likely your people are going to die. Yeah, so it's a game of hubris, which is awesome. It is. It's a game of not being too good at anything, like not putting... (laughs) It is. It's not too many followers in any one area, because that could trigger the plague. Not taking too many rolls at any one time, because that opens you up to problems. Mm -hmm. It's a game of kind of trying to... It's ride a, the middle line it's a game of just sort of like squatting in the middle of a of a maths tornado and praying and praying <laughs> and praying like okay. I, I don't know it's it works for me it's the fact that on every turn people are you're going to be decimated and you're going to place cubes and it's just mm. a matter of on balance maybe over five turns if you place 10 cubes if you can keep 11 of the if like if you place 11 cubes if you can make it so only maybe nine die there were a couple of points where i was i was deliberately moving the plate to areas where i had a cube i had a dude but everyone had more so i figured because of the way the how the game works you know the plague often attacks the most populous player yeah or, you know, even if I had one guy in the area, I figured I'm doing more damage to other people, so I'm actually making an acceptable Yeah, just sacrifice. a really nice, simple strategy game that was unlike anything I've played before, you know? It's like, you, you within about two or three minutes of starting to playing, you know, I was going, oh, 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 okay, how do... Well, if that's the rule and that's how it works, then how do I keep anyone mm. alive? Yeah. Really fascinating. Um, and I'm very keen to pick up some expansions. Oh, yeah, there is... Uh, Rattus Africanus uh, and Rattus the Pied Piper, I think. Ah, the only, the one I know is the Africa one, which is... You have Europe in the main game and Africa just is an yeah, extra board on beneath. the bottom. I love any game... Uh, the board game publishers, if you're listening and you want a good review from me, oh, I yeah. like basically any game that makes the board larger. Um, like, n- n- none of this stuff where you get a sort of piece of cardboard and you put on top of the board to the board denser no I want I want things that sock it on like you know what you'd like what talisman, talisman. well <laughs> no, have, no, no, no 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 but no, I have no, thought no. to myself that but it's every... just more and it takes longer <laughs> but it makes the board like bigger 300% larger it does which, which is, is huge what do you think it'd be interesting if someone did that for Monopoly yes well it couldn't hurt could it no your stomach made a noise then. We'd better move on. We'd better move on. Uh, is it Space Cadets? Space Cadets. That was a game that we, we can talk about a bit, but you'll see a video of us playing it soon, probably. You will see a video of us playing it, I think, tomorrow. This is this is, this is is a farce. We shouldn't spoil too much. But mainly I want to talk about it because it was Paul's first opportunity to play it. Hey. Uh, this is a game where... I was quite good. You were, Sorry, go on. You were honestly not terrible. Um, <laughs> Space Cadets is a game where all the players uh, work together to man a ship. 
it's a cooperative game where you might have one player on helms part flying the ship. If you've ever <laughs> seen Star Trek, you know it's the pew, pew. Uh, one person oh. on shields, one person on weapons, it's another on sensors. Loads of different roles. Um, now this week sees the arrival of Space Cadets Dice Duel, which we haven't covered yet. We talked about it on the podcast a bit before. That Space Cadets is a really rapid dice rolling, team based, laughable form. Um, I love it. I also love Space Cadets, which is what the video tomorrow is going live of, and it's just a mad simulation. It's so interesting that you have... It's a game made of games. It's a game where you give each player their own mini-game to play. Why don't you just... You know what? We'll see the sort of collective experience. Why don't you provide a lens through which people can understand what it was like being on Shields in the game? Why not? Uh, good heavens. So what did you think the game was going to be? And ha- Like, you know, a sort of Star Trek told from the position of Worf. I did... I want to be Geordie. Uh, Geordie's my Geordie's favorite. basically on Shields, isn't he? Geordie's well, I was, I, was engineer- I was engineering in Shields, which is basically Geordie, who mm. is the best of all of the Next Generation crew. Off topic, anyway, sorry. Why um, do you like Geordie the most? Because he's uh, the most kind of understated and underrated, and he gets things right most of the time. But because he's not like a big hairy woman chaser like Riker, or because he's not silly like Data, he's not the focus so much. But he's just a guy doing his job very well, yeah, and with, you know, without any fuss. And those people are underrated. Okay. Quint. Do you think you're shut up and sit down, Geordie? No, I think you might be. Oh, I th- well, I neither of Riker. us are. Neither of us are because we're chasing both... Brendan around tables. We're, we're... so shields. <laughs> No, I'm not done with this. <laughs> no, I don't know who we are. Um, no, I don't feel that way. I feel... Matt's Wharf. You're showing up occasionally and picking up people and throwing them across, you know, uh, obstacles. But Matt's a lot happier and nicer than Wharf. Is, is like Matt Matt's Troy? Much... Yeah. Anyway, board games, card games, and all the other things you can find in your very own house. Paul has a faraway look in his eye like I've triggered something. I'm just thinking, like, Brendy is Miles O'Brien or something. Okay, we're, we're cross. Oh God, really? I don't know. He's not. No. He's not. There's no way to say this. What we should do is let people in the comments decide who we are, because okay. they know better than we do. Right. And I'll actually talk about board games. <laughs> um, so, what did you think your time on Shields was going to be like? Because uh, it, well, it was like what I thought it would be like, which is very much. It's it's a really compartmentalized game where you see other people playing very different mini games. You know, you can't do very much about it. So, the best way for people to succeed is for you to do your best at your thing. Which I tried to do. <laughs> uh, you get the great co-op team thing of the communication can be a hilarious problem sometimes when the captain says, all right, we're going to go here and do this. And then Helm can't quite fly to where you're going. So you've turned the wrong shields on. So the wrong part of the ship is vulnerable. <laughs> and the thing is, if you have a group of friends who are going to be really anal and angry about that, you could have massive arguments. But we didn't. We had more of the teasing kind of... You know, where are the shields? Where are the? Why aren't the engines? I'm not going to spoil it, but there is one moment in the video where we realise we're not doomed per se. But there are so <laughs> many enemies in one area, and we all decide, okay, you know what? We're just going to fly in there. We're going to rocket in there using this special technology the captain's been sitting on. We're going to grab a crystal. We're going to raise shields, and we're not going to attack. We're just going to rocket right out of there again. And it didn't. It is that turn was everything that is wrong and right about Space Cadets as a game. What happened next? Because um, it didn't go to plan. I I will. I, I want to have people watch that. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything more. Uh, I don't you, know. The experience was good. I liked it. Did you find it frustrating? Because quite a lot of stuff no. got through our shields all the time. No, I didn't. Uh, other people might, depending on how precisely they like to play their games and how 
good they like to be or how successful they like to be. I didn't because most of the time I just didn't. I felt like we had a group of people who we all understood that everything we were doing was a bit difficult. <laughs> uh, and I was quite lucky that a lot of the things I tried worked. It's true. Maybe if I'd had a terrible game, I would feel different, but I did okay. Okay. Would it you was... recommend Space Cadets then? Because we've got the Let's Play, but it doesn't have a recommendation. Yeah, I would. I I would recommend it to people who like to play co-op games that are run... You... It's not a co-op game like Pandemic or Freedom at all. It's totally different. It's far more lighthearted. It's a game where you have to accept that things go wrong. and A bit like uh, Space Alert, which we also love. It's a game of, of damage control. Things go wrong and you do your best to deal with them. You don't go into a mission and expect 100% success. I was saying this over and over again on the day, but I would love to get good at it. I'd love to... And I feel this way about Space Alert, too. We have to play it more. We do have to play it more. But maybe on easy, you know, actually win a couple of missions, learn what works, like how to engage enemies, because we, <laughs> we were terrible. Um, other couple of uh, quick things we've been playing this week. I got the chance to get Cosmic Encounter I've never to the heard of Cosmic again. Encounter. What is it? Well, you make fun of me, but we haven't talked about it properly for like a year I'm sure we have we only reviewed sure it in our Christmas special back on our old Tumblr so we've never you know done a given a proper review I'm sure we have uh, Cosmic Encounters is very very good It, I, I got the chance to get it to the table because Paul and I play a lot of games and we don't always get the chance to play the things we love as much as we like we try a lot of new stuff all the time. yeah we have to for the job so it was great to get to get a chance to get Cosmic to the table and find out that it's still awesome it's still so good I played with three people who'd never played it before and they all loved it four is a good number actually for Cosmic I think yeah, four yeah, yeah. or five is about the right very balance. quickly I'm going to say two things about Cosmic Encounter first Go. of which it is a card game of aliens all vying for control of the galaxy and trying to use um Cards that you're dealt uh, in the correct time, so playing crap attack cards or good attack cards or negotiation cards um, when it benefits you most. Other thing to say about Cosmic is it's absolutely incredible, and if you don't own it, you should, because it's just gorgeous. And different every single time, because the alien races change up the game so much. Good heaven. That's my sales pitch, Paul. I gave him the old one-two. Uh, can you remember who you played? Uh, yeah, I played Which the... Race? Oh, God, Because that's what, what makes the, the real difference in every game is the races are so different in what they do. I've mostly focused on teaching the game to other people. I remember the Fury was what... The Fury were an alien race who get angrier as their ships blow up and he ah. managed to get a hand, uh, hands on his super which meant that he just basically became an enormous ball of anger that devoured the galaxy. It was one of those, the end of the game, where you know, you're know you about to attack, and you can, adv- you can ask for other allies on the attack, um, so that they all help you, and you all win the game together. And he was so powerful, he was saying, you know what, no, I think I got this one, guys. So we all allied together to defend and try and stop him from winning. And which is interesting, because that ties into our theme of balance. It which does. We'll come to and you know what, the in, game in a bit. balanced itself. What alien race did I play? I don't know. I, don't, I didn't expect you to know, but... Um, <laughs> Usually no, I'm watching from like the window. Can't even remember. I was making sure everyone was playing the game legally, which is awful. Probably something really crap and forgettable. Like the humans. Oh, it'll come to me later. It'll come to me in 20 minutes' time in this podcast. Listen out for it. Just, if it comes into your head, just shout immediately. Whatever, I will. Whatever's okay. happening. Yeah, that's going to happen. Right. Uh, and finally, you've been playing some Dominion this I've been week. playing, yeah. Uh, which is good, because I haven't actually gone back to Dominion for a while. And I... Explain Dominion to the people at home. Dominion. Well, well, Quince, we could be here for a while. We could be here for a while. Dominion is a deck-building game where you start off with a handful of cards that you then use to buy more cards from a pool in the middle. And the idea is, as you buy more and more cards, you want to create a better and better deck of cards that allows you to buy more cards that are better cards that allow you to have more actions. So rather than just starting a game and buying a little card, 
you'll uh, you'll have a turn where you might buy a couple of cards and they, they're all actions that you can then use to trigger other actions and just cascade until you buy uh, usually the most expensive cards in the game, which are all the victory point cards, but you don't want to buy them at the start of the game because they don't do anything. So, so if you have a deck for the cards... Up your deck. Yeah, and it won't, won't it won't be the smooth machine you want it to be. But this is it. It's about building a machine of cards. Dominion invented this deck building thing, and we've seen it in a ton of games. Thunderstone applied it to a fantasy setting. A few mm-hmm. acres of no applied it to a war game, which was amazing. Did you say a few acres of no? A few acres of blow, which would be a very different. That's the game I would invent if. Anyway, uh, so uh, that that was that was that's a joke that people are going to read into, and it was just it came out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> But we also recently reviewed Trains, trains. a Japanese design, uh, where the, the deck you're building lets you place rails and stations across Tokyo or Osaka, and we loved it. We did. It was I was really surprised, because I honestly thought it was going to be quite bad. So now the... <laughs> wow. I did. But that's just because you're judgmental. Yeah. Almost as judgmental as me. Uh, and that's not a way to be. Um, so, but I liking these games that do stuff with the deck building, as opposed to just the straight deck building. And the, the thing is, the quest, this is the argument I want to have with uh-huh. you now, live, uh-huh. on air. All right. Now we have okay. trains, I don't want to play Dominion again. Really? I just want to play trains. Because it's like Dominion, but then you have the extra board, so it's Dominion Square. So you like having the... Yes, the, I did some maths, Paul. Suck it up. You, you like having the board and then putting stuff down and the, the area control kind of aspects. Well, yeah. I mean, Dominion is, is great, but you, you're very much focused on your own deck and you're not really interested in what other people are doing unless you play with the cards that let them attack you and blah, 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 blah. But it's all bolted on. In Trains, you're building a network. You could get points from other people's stations. You're claiming spaces first. You're walling people off. You're actually playing a game together. And then you've got this deck building, which is a fun aside. Um... Dominion just seems kind of like lonely now, like a like an anachronism, you know, like a progenitor to this whole Aww. genre. It's fine. It's what Aww. happens in games. A game comes along and people take the ideas and make something better out of it with more color, and then and then it's it's fine. Do you think it's Do you think it's been made obsolete? Well, I can tell you this. My local game shop said that sales of the new latest Dominion expansion were lower than they'd ever seen for a Dominion expansion. Interesting. Because people have so many cards now that there's no sense buying more expansion sets because. They can always forever just have a new game of Dominion by mixing up cards from all the different sets they own. That's interesting. Dominion fatigue, I call it. But I tell you what, when expansions for trains come out, adding more bullet, trains, even even more trains and even more stations, they're gonna fly off the shelves like hot like cakes. Paul, and I'll be the first, and we'll play some train games, and you'll forget you ever liked Dominion. I'm having fun. I'm having fun with with attack card option combination things. <laughs> I am. No, yeah, it's not in the original Dominion, but I think the some of the expansions did a very good job of adding a lot of the interactivity and a lot of things that depend on other things. Uh, well, let me That's put how it, I feel. this do you. How yeah. about... How, one of, the person listening mm-hmm. to this podcast right mm-hmm. now is in a game shop, mm-hmm. and they go, Paul, I've heard these two games are good. This is Trains and this is Dominion. I, I have only £40, though, and I will buy one of them. Which should I buy? I will tear the beard off that man, and it'll be you underneath. <laughs> Yeah, still. But then I'll. But I will. I will insist on my question. Which one should I? D- actually, I might say Dominion. I might say no. Buy, I no! buy, buy, buy a game with all this expandable stuff in. You, yeah. you are full of hot air. You are a gas bag, my friend. That is what I studied at school. Was gas bags. I did a gas bag GCSE. And now the shut up and sit down sweat lodge. Oh, it's very hot. <laughs> Oh, it's so hot. It's the questions. Oh, 
it's it's hot here and the it is incredibly hot for in November. Question sweat lodge. I'm just gonna take this off. Oh wow, let me just. Mm. I'll just uh, take this off. And I'll take this and then... I'll take this off. Okay. And I'll wow. take these off. I feel free for the first time in my life. I'm gonna unzip my earrings. Okay. Right. And uh, take off my wig. One of those zip wigs. Wow, you look good in that. Um, I feel like we've made a grave error. So the question we asked our Facebook and Twitter audience yes. today was balance. Questions on balance because we're going to get to descent, wherein balance is a is a is a hot is a thing, hot button issue here in the hot sweat lodge. However, I feel like we've kind of lured the worst of our audience out to the fore. <laughs> Because people, mean. Are, but I'll be honest. A lot of these questions are sort of are, are quite true. Well, when is but when is too much? Well, we'll get to them. What is too much balance? I'm going to get to these questions, and I'm going to get increasingly angry. Okay. Um, because All I right. feel like this isn't the spirit of shut up and sit down. But we'll do it. We ask for the questions, and we'll answer them. All right. So you ready for the first one? Uh, the hive one. Well, we've got a comedy one. Uh, this is a funny question. It's a funny. It's funny. It's funny. <laughs> uh, John Henry wants to know because we asked about balance. What is the easiest easiest board game to balance in your head? Because we asked about balance, mm. but we meant balance in a. Mm, it's fine in a game because design. because we decided it is hive because, because it's in a bag and it rests. It's ba- it's in a bag and it's got weights and you put it on your head uh, and you can shift. That, that, yeah. was, that was a funny question. Uh, next question, uh, Stephen Hobson says, "Is balance boring?" Uh, yeah, now so we front loaded it with my favorite question first. Um, I think uh, he's kind of hit the nail on the head because the question is. Is balance boring rather than this thing that all games should strive for to be perfectly balanced? I think I think balance can be quite potentially boring. If you set out to make your game balanced from the beginning as one of your highest priorities, I feel like you're shooting yourself in the foot. Because the priority for a game should be to be fun. Like, if, you're pri- if, if you put balance ahead of fun, then you're probably Reinhard Knizia at that point. <laughs> Uh, but you know what I mean wait though? wait 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 wait. but surely uh, it's really interesting to have a game where everyone starts off on the same foot absolutely but wouldn't you rather they have try a... different things but and... given, a, given a choice I'd rather have a game that's fun or perhaps very thematic and transporting than a game that is balanced but, and I would rather but, I, but... can you would, let, let me ask you this <laughs> would you rather play with someone would you even consider playing with someone who'd rather play a balanced game than a fun game it, to be honest it really depends on the game I mean, I'm trying to play devil's advocate here because I like uh, I no, like that things that are asymmetrical and I like it when unusual things happen. And obviously we both really like Cosmic Encounter, which is a game of, of all kinds of total mad imbalances where you gang up against people and you make alliances and you break them. And that's the whole point of the game. Yes, very quickly. Cosmic is interesting because all the alien races you receive might be crap or they might be absurdly overpowered. But because Cosmic allows players to negotiate and, and work together yes. or not you're expected to self-balance the game by working together against players who are overpowered. Which is what humans can do. That's a really good thing about people. We sit around a table, we can work things out according to context and situation. Yes, and I would say that maybe balance is boring because it's so much more exciting to create a game that allows, that gives players the freedom to balance the game themselves, you know? This is why auctions are great, because players can set their own price for things. It's why games with alliances are great, because players can ally against perceived imbalances. Is that the noise of an alliance? An alliance, yeah. Um, Some men in a hall somewhere with axes. Let's drift onwards uh, before through these calm seas before the questions start getting really stormy. Uh, Nathaniel Purcell, hello Nathaniel, asks, at what point does unbalance cross the line to broken? Well, well, well. No, I guess it's it's. I don't know if it's an abstract question. It kind of it's. I don't know. It's a fair question to ask because. 
the, the whole point of something being unbalanced is things go wrong or things don't work properly or someone is on the back foot. Do not do that again in front of me. I saw what you did there. I'm sorry. It's, I... he's, it's a very hot sweat lodge and these trousers are very tight. Do you want help with those? No. Because... Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know. It's a kind of a fair question. And I guess it's the, the key question for any game designer. When you're putting a game together and you know all kinds of things are going to fall apart and go in funny directions. You, I guess it's the point where a player is just excluded, maybe. Hmm. You, you want a game mechanic where players can always come back or players always have a, a, a way to turn so things around. So for you, you would call a game broken when a player is uh, almost before they've stepped foot in the game, they have, they have lost for reasons beyond their control or very if they lose very quickly yeah, well, within a couple of turns or a few moments mm, you're kind of you're out of it that, that's that, that's a problem that is one answer to nathaniel's question uh-oh uh my uh, my answer my answer uh shut up to down fans would relate to the fact that there is no faster way to drive me absolutely up the wall uh-oh. than to refer to a game as broken okay to refer to games as broken already means you're perceiving the entire hobby from the wrong direction, okay? This is... We're not making machines. We're not making cars. We're not making rulers or or protractors or something. Games design is art. Making a game, having fun, these are nebulous concepts which it is impossible to break. And I dare say that... no game can be broken if it if it is also providing fun. If it achieves the goal of entertaining, I would people. almost argue that no game can be broken at all. And like, it it, it also reduces the hobby. You know, if I, if I spend three years in my basement working on a design that I love, someone else says, "Well, it's broken." That is so disrespectful. It is so rude, and it it disregards everything else the game might achieve. And I've talked about this before, but nothing drives me more insane than. A few acres of snow being referred to as broken because someone was able to do what the playtesters couldn't and discovered a strategy that can't be beaten. This strategy is so out there that to do it, you would have to create a printout and memorise it in order to do it. You would never find it by yourself. And yet so many people, including Shut Up and Sit Down's own programmer, and I had an (laughs) argument with him just this week about it, have not bought a few acres of snow because this exists. Because because it's there, whether they find it or not. Because it's possible to exploit it. Yes. Where you might exploit any video game or anything else. Right, and just recently, this week, Caverna, the, the sequel to Agricola, which is amazing. Uh, I've seen people on BoardGameGeek talk about how there's a way to create infinite ore, I think. By mm. playing one card to another card to another card. Again, the playtesters didn't catch this. And now there are people on BoardGameGeek saying, well, I'll wait until the second edition because this is just there. Never mind the fact that you could house rule it. Never mind the fact that you'd have amazing fun anyway. Never mind the fact that this is a game with a thousand ideas, but because of this one way, the sparks that come off when these two mechanic Paul can't even meet my eyes right now. I've gotten too excited, <laughs> and he's just embarrassed. No, no, it's in- I'm just... It's really interesting, and it's a really good point. And obviously, I mean, board games, more than anything else, video games, you can't really house rule so much. Board games, we can house rule very easily. Absolutely. Um, but surely it's our job as... as people who are critics of games to pull them apart and work out where they go wrong Uh, yeah and you and I will continue to pull apart games and say why mechanics are fun or not but I would never call a game broken because because what is even the criteria for a game being broken because it's certainly not I don't believe in games uh, especially not games we review as as specific contests If, if a game set out to be nothing more than a test of skill and failed that I might call it broken but none of the games we review are that all the games we review set out to be fun. Sports, card games, board games, role-playing games, they set out to provide an entertaining experience. A game might be broken if it had something that meant you couldn't have fun, but that's impossible, you know? I'm going to take off my protractor now. 
Yeah, no. I don't think we should cover any more Petraxel than Shut Up and Sit Down. Uh, no, that's a really interesting answer, though. Being serious. Uh, which... I don't know. I don't know if I can uh, respond to that completely right now, but it... The point is, of course, to have fun. And I suppose if someone achieves that in their design... Then nothing else Then matters. there is... Well, well, anyway. well, obviously other things do matter because we, we don't recommend every... It's oh, it's such a big thing. To water, get into. water is slapping across the bow of the ship as we progress into even stormier seas. Um, brain, such a meaty thing. Brain Archibald says, "What are the best or worst balanced co-op or semi-co-op games? Is balance between players on the same team important?" I'm pretty sure I meant to put Brian there. Brain, Ar- <laughs> I prefer someone follows us called Brain Archibald. Uh, I actually find (laughs) calm down keep dress (laughs) I find team based co-op games that give different quantities of power to different members of the team exciting you do I think Space Cadets is more interesting for the the sake that one person is the captain and tells everyone what to do I think it's more interesting that on some terms the census officer might have no power and has nothing to do but yell at everybody else because their station isn't functioning you see it's funny I, I had a really good time with Space Cadets and I liked it a lot and I think it's very good I actually thought the captain's role might be the most boring though mm. because the captain's role is distributing rations well no the, the, we, the captain in our game was only playing engineering because we were one player short ah. ordinarily the captain would literally just tell people what to do but the thing is, is that it, I think it is important because somebody needs to figure out the plan and where to stop and when to fight and when to run. Yeah, which is the captain's yeah. role. I, I, would, I would find it very interesting. I I have mixed feelings about this question because I don't like having a co-op game where someone doesn't necessarily have very much to do. And I think this has come up in other questions we look at. But a problem you can have in a co-op game is more experienced players dominating, taking over, yeah, telling people Yeah, we'll get to, to this do. in a second. Uh, so I have mixed feelings about that. So I think we disagree then. I would actually, I find a co-op game more interesting if players have less or more power. Okay. And uh, you might be the opposite. I think... Um, I like it when everyone has a quite a discreet job to do, which no one else can do. And again, I'm going to be really difficult because I think one of the worst balanced co-op games I know is also my favourite. And I, like... Mechanic, mechanically the worst balance but my favourite for how balanced it is which is Red November uh, because Red November is a, is not a great game but a good game where um, all the players are essentially gnomes on a submarine and it's crashing and the and everything is going wrong and um, you're all running around trying to fix it as bulkheads become sealed and certain compartments fill with water or smoke or uh, you know all of this stuff hmm. but it has a mechanic where halfway through the game if one of you has found the oxygen tank they can just leave which uh, and if if the rest of the players then lose the game, that player who escaped is the only player who won. However, if the players uh, decide manage to hang in there and save the ship, odds are against them. But if they do, then that player who ran away is the only loser, um, as the rest of the team are heroes. Yeah. Um, and that's fascinating because it means the game basically can't quite work because it's already so hard that if someone goes and leaves with the oxygen tank, ninety nine percent of the time their surviving crew are going to die. Which is theoretically unbalanced, but in practice it's perfect because it just lends itself to that heroism of the of the theme of the genre. Yeah, and, no, and obviously, and more than that, it lends itself to everyone laughing and yeah. hating and screaming and swearing, which is fantastic. So, what would you say? What do you think is a worst or best balanced co op game that you've played recently? Worst or best balanced co op? Well, what what is a co op game that that springs to mind like a morning flower? That you decide. You... I I don't want to open a can of worms here. 
Here we open it, pry it open. We'll uh, have a whiff. We'll talk about it for twenty seconds, then we'll move on. I, you know that we like we generally we like pandemic and pandemic's good, but I've had some not good experiences playing pandemic because I've been as a new pandemic player. I've often been redundant. Well, oh, in on. a group of people where people know what's happening and how I can do my, they can do my job better than me. Let's skip right to Thierry Chenard, who says, yeah, so question, this is a thing. His question is: In cooperative games, brackets, pandemic, how do you get everybody to participate and not have a dictator telling everybody what to do? And this is exactly the thing. And I don't know the, the easy answer to that question. Well, there is one very easy answer. Well, I mean. Well, I, I would say, going back to what I said before, uh, if you give everyone a very different job, that's one answer. But what were you going to say? I was going to say you buy uh, Pandemic on the Brink, which is the expansion that allows oh, one play. Well, it has a bunch of different modules, which are all quite cool. But the, the important, cool. the, the, I am quite cool. The important one is that one player becomes a bioterrorist, optionally, mm. and then is playing a sort of hidden movement game where they walk around the globe. So take the player who's the mouthiest and then make them essentially the antagonist so they don't talk to anybody. Um... Is once that's that's a solution for pandemic. That's not a bad solution. Ghost Stories does the same thing. Ghost Stories has an expansion which lets one of you players woo fame. Yes, uh, it does. Which is the Black Secret. Or... Just if you wanted to have an even harder time in Ghost <laughs> yes. Stories. Yes. Um, um, and Ghost. Well, Ghost Stories was another game that was good fun. Although I I was kind of a bit out of my depth. I think the first time I played it because people knew what was going on. I didn't quite know what was going on and I ended up doing the less exciting things in the game. Yeah, well, the truth is that there's there's not really a solution to this. But what I will say is um, when I am picking what games to bring, mm-hmm. um, a friend of mine was, was over my house the other week and uh, they just stopped by and we were going to play some games. And they made fun of me because I then proceeded to spend... Because I was meant to bring a game and I spent 15 minutes walking around... Uh, looking at boxes, going no, 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 no. no. This friend was was laughing at me, saying, "What the hell is the matter? What do you want to play?" And I said, "Well, this game." And they said, "Well, bring that." And I said, "No, because it's it, not yeah. good with this many players, yes. and I don't, I'm not that confident on the rules." And this person doesn't play many board games; it's too complicated. I spend so long picking the right game for the right group. Well, a, I totally understand that, though. In a case of that, though, it was great because, like, ah, uh, it was so <laughs> successful. What I finally got. I got Cutthroat Caverns, which we're definitely going to be giving more coverage of, which I've been playing recently. It's so much fun. But it, one of the, it's a co-op game, sort of, where you're all going to backstab each other eventually at some point. But it comes with an adventure module, which is like an old D&D-style book. So rather than you just encounter ten monsters, you read the book collectively and you pass it around the circle and it says, you walk down the corridor, listening for the screams of the maiden you're here to rescue. But, you know, it's all has tw- it's multiple choices and branching paths. And I thought it would be great, and it turned out to be fantastic, because of the five people that were there, the one thing we had in common, we all used to play D&D as kids, and now we're all writers. <laughs> so we're all able to like make fun of this and, and yeah. tell jokes, and, and it, was, it, was, it was unbelievably good. But in the case of Pandemic, you know what? There's no solution, I don't think, if you have a dictator player. Uh, I was going to ask... Play a different game. Well, maybe different, yeah. That Honestly, that is that, if, you, if one person is noisy, don't play co-op games with them. It's that simple. Games are best with... Players that suit them. Players that suit them. Uh, I don't know, yeah. Try something that gives people a lot more independence. I was just thinking of Escape and how you very much do your own thing in Escape, but you turn up and you help other escape people. Escape the Curse of the Temple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that has appealed to me as well. Yeah, because you're just... And I also like Space Alert. Well, the best co-op games do have solutions for this. Like Space Alert. Um, mm. Space Alert, essentially, you make one player the captain if they're really noisy and you get them to tell people what to do. That's... And that's actually a really difficult position to it's be It's the in hardest sometimes. position on the Um... And I, I, this is kind of a cheaty answer, but I've always liked space. Well, ghost stories. I, I know you didn't have a great experience with it, but my experience with it is that 
when you've got four players with nine tiles that offer nine special abilities and every player has their own special abilities and all the ghostage and things and you are carrying different tokens and magic items, the puzzle is so big it doesn't fit in one player's head. So players end up talking because they have to go, wait, hang on, look at this. Look at what I've seen. Which isn't the case with Pandemic. Pandemic breaks faster than well, just about any game, uh, co-op game, except for maybe like Forbidden Island or something, in terms of how quickly a player becomes a dictator. Mm. I think we had Matt Lees on the podcast a couple of months ago saying, yes. now when he plays Pandemic, he has to watch himself and shut the hell up. Yes, other players. he did. Yeah. And we've, we've had chats with Matt about this before. Uh, I don't know, maybe that's the, uh, the just the challenge of those games. Next question, uh, do you think? Why don't you read this one? Because I like this one, because it's a funny question. The one from Adam and Fish. Yes. It's, it's good. Is Twister the unassailable master of balance in games? Do you get it? Because, because he means balancing. balance as in balancing. And which you do in Twister. Our you like are Twister. Funny. I love Twister. Twister is on probably my top ten games of all time. Um, and you know what? I was I went back this week and listened to... Um, we still haven't done a thing on it. Uh, no, we haven't. I, I should. Uh, there's got, I've got all kinds of great ideas, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> what to do that are nonsense. But um, uh, this week, I went back to that old, old episode of the Dice Tower we were on back in 2011, I think. Yes. And it's the Halloween special, and we're yes. both asked to provide our top 10 Halloween games. And, and I was listening to it because I couldn't remember what I picked. And my number 10 was Twister. <laughs> and it was like Tom Bass and Eric Summer, you all going, what? And I, my explanation for it was apparently that on Halloween, if you're at a Halloween party, what better game could there be than watching the, than Twister because it's going to be your friend dressed as a vampire bent over someone dressed yeah. as a robot bent yeah. over someone dressed as a goblin bent but over that, Iron that's Man. it that, I mean Twister itself as a concept is is fun and silly but it is a party game and if you have you immediately have that situation where you're um, at a party or you're in the garden or you're on the beach or some you take you can take Twister somewhere and surely that's half the fun of it you can, t- yes, yes. yes. It's you can portable. take it. You take yeah. it anyway. It's, it's a mat and a spinner. Uh, but yes, uh, well done, Adam and Fish. Um, Sam Lamont asks, "What's your favourite mechanic for upsetting balance in a game?" That's a good question. Shall I, um, is this one of those things where we're going to have to pause the podcast and think? No, I well, I, I've immediately got an answer in my head, which is I like anything that brings people back from. Uh, being at last place or being near the back to somewhere at the front. Oh, yes. Almost like a kind of a Mario Kart leader missile mm. thing. I I like the idea of people um, not being left behind, being able to turn the game around somehow. Not, necessar- not necessarily jumping into first place because that's a problem that uh, certain kinds of games, what we call Ameritrash games, games full of lots of random powers, tend to have where someone plays a card and goes, suddenly I do this and I'm having a great time and we all go, oh, okay. <laughs> But uh, anything, anything that has uh, the potential to flip things on their head by allowing people to jump forward, to delay people who are in the lead, it's basically like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. If you have a couple of different variables that people are trying to score on and they're not scoring on one, but they start scoring on another instead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and th- maybe that's the thing I like about games like Agricola, the fact that you, when you build a farm you can be grabbing lots of different resources and you might not have loads of sheep but if you get all the vegetables yeah, yeah all yeah. of a sudden that's a very dry example but does that make sense <laughs> no it does i was just thinking of playing keyflower this week and realizing that 
thinking early on that if I could dominate the wood supply, that would be a good thing. And then because all everyone would have to send people to my village, which is what I was thinking of doing. But then there were a couple of other things that came up. Yeah, I, I know other wood things came up. And well, you got I, the I jumped for a couple of different things. Like I, it wasn't amazing, but because I'd upgraded my house, which let me move stuff more, and I had the cart right that let me move stuff, yeah, I yeah, could yeah. pick up the victory point thing that gave me extra points based on how many. Cart, movement, movement cart things I had yeah. which so wasn't just, part of my tactic but I was able to go and grab and do snake that. there at the end yeah it's a very surprising game my favourite mechanic for Upsetting mm. Balance uh, is actually this is going to be a good answer I think okay um, sure it's it a board game in spirit this is a PC game by a man called Vic Davis called Solium Infernum oh yeah Vic Davis makes a number of fascinating games he made Armageddon Empires which is a beautiful hexagonal strategy game for one player on your PC it runs on anything if you're looking for something fun to play Solium Infernum is a multiplayer, play-by-email of all things game. And uh, I played it a lot um, in, I think, 2012? Yeah, about or 2011, year, maybe. year or two years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it has, it has so many ideas I'd love to see in a board game. But basically, you're all uh, princes of hell um, competing for territory, and it's, it's just marvellous. And you, everything you do is by auction, and uh, all kinds of wonderful mechanics in it. But the most interesting one is um, if you have less than half of the prestige of another player and prestige are like victory points yeah um, if you have less than half the prestige and less than half the territory of another player you can apply to become their vassal and this is great that immediately bonds you in an alliance um, and all of your territory and all of your prestige becomes theirs this is only like a six player game maximum it might be mm-hmm. with four or five six is the peak so suddenly you've got a game where let's say Paul is winning and uh, then I'm in second place. And then someone who's doing the worst in the game. Isn't this beautiful? The person who's doing worst can probably come to you or me, wringing their hands and say, accept me as a vassal. And then you do it, and suddenly you've got all their territory, their power, their units, and you're working as an alliance. So you can do that, and then if one person does that, then it's incentive for other players to start becoming vassals. And suddenly the game splinters into leaders and their teams, which yeah. is beautiful. More beautiful, because during character creation of your demon... There is a, which is entirely secret. Nobody knows really what you're getting buffs at, whether you're a combat demon or, a, or something with a, a sort of economy. But one of the traits you can take, one of many traits, is called Power Behind the Throne, which is, and you pick this at the start of the game before you've done anything, but if at some point later in the game you become a vassal, you win the game instead of your uh, liege when the game is over if they've won. Which would mean you'd have to play your entire game, you'd have to take this trait, deliberately lose for the first half so you have no territory... Uh, make it look like an accident, then go to someone and ask to be their vassal, they accept you, then when they win, you win instead. Which is my favourite mechanic ever for unbalancing a game and keeping losers in the lead and making distrust and all that beautiful stuff. Hidden rolls. That's Solium Infernum, ladies and gentlemen. It's nice that that's something I'd expect more of a board game. Yeah, well, Vic Davis should be making board games and he's making PC games and I don't know why. But I absolutely recommend um, Shut Up and Sit Down's audience gets a play-by-email game together somehow. Solium Infernum, very cheap, like $20. And you reckon uh, it can be groups of like four to six people? Oh yeah, I think that's the maximum players. Uh, But yeah, beautiful game. Um, Let's move on to a question from our own Matt Thrower and we'll answer it because otherwise he'll be angry. Uh, Is it possible for a game to be both balanced and have key moments of tension on which the tide turns? I hope so, because that goes back to what I was saying about uh, people who are flagging um, being able to turn the game in their favour or step forward or surprise people or delay the leaders. Well, surprise, I think maybe there aren't enough board games that allow for surprise. But when I read that question, I immediately thought of like chess where you think you're losing and then... Someone does a play that causes you to go, oh God, yes, and realise you're in yes. trouble. That's an interesting idea. I would like to see a game maybe that experiments with, um, uh, pluck this idea from my bottom, from my bottom, <laughs> from my bottom, 
But um, if, as you do better and get more victory points, kind of the fog of war increases. So the more you're in the lead, the more the less you the understand. Less, the less you understand of what on earth is yes. going on around you. So perhaps you're still a, you're still more powerful than everybody else, but you just can't see what's going on behind your eye of Sauron like gaze. Well, there's uh, I don't know if it's quite the same, but going back to Acres of Snow, uh, a few Acres of Snow, you have the mechanic where as your decks get bigger and bigger, you become less and less efficient. Oh, that's beautiful. And I do like the idea. I'm trying to think of of any other games that do this, but. The more powerful you become, the more kind of unwieldy things become for you. It it's a thing that a couple of games have done. A few acres of snow does it excellently. Um, I mean, obviously, air control games. As you control more territory, you struggle to control it all. You struggle to grab it all, and people uh, start chipping away at you from all sides. But I, I much obviously pre- in a board game, maybe ally against you. Yes, a few acres of snow, though. Just the fact that the the way it works, everybody, is that as you you have a deck of cards, which is all of your armies and your troops and your your boats and every, and your resources. But every time you control a territory, that card goes in your deck as well. And these cards are mostly useless. So it just thins your deck. Doesn't necessarily flatly make your troops sort of 50% powerful if you control 200% of the map. It just means your army's more unpredictable. So you might abruptly get your whole beautiful army in one hand and decimate your opponent. But you might also get one soldier each turn showing up by themselves, which is just Which is awful. awful. Yeah, it's, it's terrible, but it's so thematic. The fact that you, your soldiers are so scattered, you can't get them to do anything at all i think the the idea of bloating is definitely a thing that uh should be explored more the idea of becoming bigger and larger and slower and maybe more powerful well christmas is coming so you know there's opportunity for everyone to eat lots and become larger and bigger and slower method acting method gaming method gaming was the phrase i was looking for well actually that's a balanced mechanic we haven't talked about isn't it the idea of um you know there's there's uh shot chess where whenever you lose a piece you do the shot I think I sure that you've seen that it's like a, it's yeah. a terrible student yes, present. I'm sure that it should be the person winning who drinks to keep it balanced. Well, yeah, that would be the balance mechanic. Yes, um, but you could do that, couldn't you? You could. We did it. What was it? I swear, close pieces in chess. There's like thirty-two <laughs> yes. pieces yes. or something. And now presenting the shut up and sit down game of the month of the podcast because every three weeks there's more than one in a month. Sometimes aren't there? It's this way. Oh, Come oh. down. Oh, mind the spiders. Where are we? We're down here. We're I going down. something. What we're doing is we're descending. I smell beastman stench. <laughs> That's what I smell. Beastman stench. Oh, God. Um, yes, descent, everybody. We've arrived at our game of the month. Uh, how would I, you describe you'd... descent in a noise? I'm going to turn the light on because it's really dark in here and this isn't even us acting, it's just... Yeah, no, it is, okay. It's just quite dark. Descent is... In a noise, first. Then you do a noise, I'll do a sentence, then you do a paragraph, then we'll do right. that. Right. My okay. noise, um, without explanation then, my yep. noise is... That's good. Uh, my sentence would be, exploring a dungeon in the manner of a SWAT team. Uh, my paragraph would be, it's a co-op game where... One or two or three or four of you are heroes. It's four. It's not five, is it? No, it's four no. maximum heroes. And then another person is a dungeon master who sets monsters and traps against them. And you want to run around the dungeons uh, beating up monsters, but really collecting something or trying to complete an objective while the GM tries to follow you. 
You can have a lovely time doing it, or you can do it over and over and stretch it into a whole big long campaign where you get items like swords and shoes and trousers, <laughs> and you put and, them on. And, and every you... evening's play of descent ties into the next evening's play. It does because you've you're, you're the same heroes, but you're just like, and the same overlord. You're one faster. He's learning tricks, and you're one stronger. And he's got four more orcs from the orcs, <laughs> from the orc job center. Yep, and they've been issued with like high visibility orc. yeah so the potted history of descent is that fantasy flight put out descent journeys into the dark is this dungeon game you can play for an evening and you kill a dork in a big box yeah in a huge what used to be lots of stuff the old fantasy flight coffin boxes that they now no longer do but fortune and glory is still on the shelves in a coffin box um but don't buy it because it's not very good it's not bad it's not bad um expansions just came out for it i still want them (laughs) um which is inexplicable (laughs) uh so then after after Descent came out, they released a couple of expansions. Then they released mm. something called Descent, The Road to Legend. Which was the whole turn it into a proper campaign. Yeah, in your words, I think it turns Descent from uh, you know Conan into the Lord of the Rings. Just a huge yeah, epic thing. Where you the hero- have your own quest board and you track the movement of your party. Yeah, and, and the Overlord could send guys. lieutenants to siege actual... So like, not just it wasn't just that the heroes could make it to a city and buy magical items and equipment and sell stuff there. It was that while they went off to the dungeon later... The Overlord could send lieutenants to siege the same city and burn it down. Yeah. And this is the bonkers thing. It's like, you know, this is like a 250-hour game to finish. And it came with like five different Overlords and three different quests. The, yeah. uh, the Overlord, evil plots, the Overlord could, he could try and end the world by pulling the moon out the sky, I or think. Or destroying a certain number of cities or buildings yeah, yeah. or something. I and so it's like, the Fantasy Flight, rather than just putting a, a thing in and, and it's great, they're like, no, we need to put in several. There, was, there so are a lot of lieutenants, there are a lot of cars, there are a lot of magical items, there are a lot of uh, different dungeon setups because we had a right. whole a catalogue, didn't we? Like, turn to page or whatever and you look at that and that is just one of the possible dungeon dungeons yeah. setups. So, Paul and I played this. We played it for probably about 120 hours. Then we st- got about halfway through an original Royal Legend campaign. Did we? Yeah. We played it a lot. We played it for weeks and weeks and, like, Months, several hours yeah. a week. And then we stopped um, because it... And this is the cause of the podcast question. It was unbalanced. It had... I don't want to say broken because it's established. Broken is points. But it became apparent that the heroes had won. See, it's not broken. We just won. See? Well, we arguably, yeah, maybe we did. Maybe it's like a game of uh, football where after it becomes 10 clear minutes, that one class has outmatched the other. And one, we one we class became or, very powerful, is what happened, didn't we? And I, be, we I remember had, your archer was basically a machine gun by the time Rob was finished. Don't and it? I could buff other people, I think. Um, like, uh, we had the, the fellow on the horse who. fellow on the dog. Yes, it was just a hobbit on a wolf. Hobbit on a wolf who was impossible to hit, and I could shoot people a lot. And Rob was just very tough. Rob and was, oh spells. yeah, laughing boulder, and I could teleport anywhere in my line of sight, and then cook anything. And we could rub these powers off on each other to some degree. Yeah, it was just ugly. And... We we became basically like what's a TV series where you just like Power Rangers? Yeah. We would just show up and murder everything on site. And the thing is, the best games that we had were the ones that were the most knife edge, where we didn't know if we were going to make yes. it. We didn't know, or we had to compromise. We had to go into the dungeon and get half of what we wanted and leave. Yeah. So, but we we do love Descent. Now, fast forward a bit. Descent Second Edition is what's on shelves now. Now, yes. one of our questions was asking what the difference between the two editions is. It's almost night and day. Fantasy Flight have rejiggered all the components so they're all beautiful the game's a little faster the two big differences first off you get a campaign right out of the box um you just buy the base set 
And this campaign is smaller. It's not 250 hours. It turns Descent from like a three-hour game into maybe a 40-hour game, which is a... Yeah, it's disappointing, I think, if you want that epic thing, but I tell you what, 40 hours is perfect for Descent. You're going to finish it. That final battle will feel so epic, but it won't give the time to base the, the game enough time to basically get drunk and fall over, which and is what Descent will do. What I like is the objectives are more clearly defined. You do very separate quests yes. now. Yes, it's no which... longer the heroes try... Before it was always the hero... Do you remember? It was... I called it a SWAT team game in our original review because the heroes would always kick in a door and have to escape yes, through the other end. Yes, kick in and shoot everything and leave. <laughs> but, well, yeah, I mean, you're right, but now it's much more about there are things that rescue this many villagers. Yes, and the Overlord as well isn't trying to just kill the heroes but do his own thing, like get a, a really slow-moving zombie from one end of the place to the other or kill a villager or, or but but it's more interesting there's more variety in what people do absolutely um and I, so we've almost finished our campaign of second edition i want to buy all the expansions i want to get another campaign going it's just so good i probably for all we talk about cosmic or agricola or these other things being our favorite games no question i have played more descent than any other game in my collection wow. it's almost certainly true for you as well because we played it week after week we after did week we after had week. a whole it was our regular weekly Thing for four hours or more. For months and months and months until it broke. It Uh, didn't break because games don't break. No. Except maybe when they do. (laughs) But they don't is the important thing. But Um, we had fun. It achieved the objective that we had fun and we got a lot of stuff. We got a we lot of joy. We collected loads of things and we tried lots of stuff. So in that way, it wasn't broken. Yeah, so quickly, just a word on Descent and, and Breaking is that Descent is a game that offers an awful lot. You know, it offers a sheaf of different heroes, different classes, different abilities, different monsters. Like, you, I've got the conversion kit, which means I can play with, like, literally the hundred or so plastic monsters I've got from Descent 1.0. Mm. I can bring them into Descent 2. And then all the quests offer different objectives. And despite all of this, the game holds together. It holds together for game after game after game. What I don't like, again, this is, I mean, I'm meant to be a consumer advocate, but in this case, I'm going to come down on the side of the publisher because Fantasy Flight have offered so much. And all I see online is people going, oh, it's a bit unbalanced. It's like, well, of course it is. It's got 800 moving parts. Would you house rule it? No. But, really? Well, you know what? Let's, let's cover this. Um, so, Well, we've got a couple of questions that kind of address this. So it good. talks about balance. Uh should we? Oh. Do you want to plug the mod? You sorry? Did you want to? Say well, which is the question about balance? Go on, off you go. Uh, well, there's one here from someone simply called Michael. It could be the Angel Michael. It says, <laughs> "Is there any balance in Descent Second Edition? And if so, where can it be found?" That's a burn. Well, Michael, um, I think the funny thing is that I've seen because we talk about Descent a lot and we get pinged about this. Is I've seen people go, um, oh, "Well, you know, Descent's really unbalanced, isn't it?" And I go, "How so, son? Like a priest?" And they go, "Well, the Overlord can't win." And you go, hmm, that's interesting. Because the previous day, I've received an email from a guy going, Descent's Unbalanced, isn't it? Why? Oh, the heroes can't win. It's like, uh, well, okay, I see your game's gone one of two very different ways. Every game of Descent is going to be different. Yeah. Not least because the Overlord's skill... Descent snowballs slightly, because if players, if heroes of the Overlord win a game, you remember this, Yes. Um, this, that team gets experience points to spend on rewards. Um, which means they get stronger. Which yeah. means it becomes harder for the losing party to win. Which is okay, I, I like every quest is tense because you have a tangible reward. I wouldn't change that. Um, so this week we got an email from a guy saying, honestly, what do I do? I'm the overlord. We're halfway through my game. I'm just getting my teeth kicked in. Uh, like halfway through a campaign. And I offered him two suggestions, which I want to offer all of our audience because I think they're both pretty clever. And see what you think. The first one, okay. have those people considered, and this is the less good of my two options, <laughs> conceding. If you're losing every game halfway through the game, have you considered you've already lost? Like... 
no shame in it, throw in the towel. Because, the, like you say, the game is fun if it's neither. If the heroes are pushing down corridors and then spiders come from behind them and they go, fuck, um, <laughs> I'll throw my axe, but you must escape. And oh it's, my goodness. And it's tense. I like that. And then you could be a ranger and you say... Uh, I can't, I'd never said anything. I just fell in holes repeatedly. That yeah. was all I ever did was I fell in holes. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I found another hole. Are you, are you in it already? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, Is there anything in there? No. Uh, yeah. But but we stopped... I like pl- the idea that I'm popping out of holes and shooting Like things. a sniper, but that didn't happen. Mostly, no, I think. I really seem to remember you being knocked into holes by ogres. What were you going to say? Sorry. I was going to say, we played Descent until one side became powerful enough that it wasn't fun yeah. anymore, and we stopped. Yeah. I don't regret that, everybody. No, It was good. It meant we didn't have an unpleasant experience. And if you feel like you're losing, and you're sure you're losing because you've lost not evening after evening, chances are the other team, whether it's the Overlord or the Heroes, has got the better of you. Stop. Start again. But you're going to say that's one of two answers that you have. Well, yeah. The other thing I will say is starting again is so awesome because all the expansion for Descent 2.0 offer different classes. There are, like, what? Eight heroes in the base set? Four more with each expansion? Who on earth doesn't want to start again and try new heroes? Try different things. New Overlord well, cards. This is this is the thing. If people are saying people are saying it's too easy for the Overlord or it's too easy for the players, or we, there are so many different combinations of stuff that people are trying, and so many things that, depending on how you play, certain things are going to be easier for you to do. Yep. you're going to be better at certain things. I believe that's what I believe. Yeah, and I this almost feels to me like discussions that twelve-year-olds have on the internet when they're playing a game, and they go, "Oh, this character is too powerful. Oh, it's imbalanced," and it's just it could be what you're doing in the way that you're doing it yeah i did a, a, a colleague of um paul and michael ed stern who's a writer for video games um tells a story of how he was working on a shooting game and um one of the updates was, was that they changed the gun on one of the sides and it turned from a gray submachine gun to a differently shaped black submachine yeah. gun that made a different noise and the submachine guns on each side were meant to be identical and all the heroes all the players went oh well, this is this is nonsense yeah you no, know, you, you changed it. You've made it so much worse. Um, the truth is, they had literally just changed the, the colour. The appearance. And yeah, and the it. noise. And the players... But all the players were agreed. It's less good. But literally, there had been no difference. Um, and I feel like Descent is a bit of that. You know, if you're losing over and over and over again, because your implication is... Well, I can't be that hero. They're unbalanced. No, you probably aren't good enough. Maybe. I feel bad saying this, but there is an element of this that can happen. Yes. I've seen... Descent, yes, it does become unbalanced, but I've only ever seen it become unbalanced in favour of one side when that side isn't as good as the other side. <laughs> Whether the Overlord player... Because as the Overlord, it's four heads against one, you know? But anyway, my, my other suggestion, rather than throwing in yes. the towel, uh, suck on this idea, pop, which is, why not have... Like, let's say I'm losing as an Overlord. I come to the players. I say, players, players heroes... heroes. Agree with me that this game is more fun when it's all balanced. I have basically think I've lost. I'm not having fun. You're steamrolling me. Let me have 10 XP to spend on whatever I want. Well, this is it. Any and all board games, we can house rule and we can... Yes, change. yes. It's For the not... same energy you're spending complaining on the internet, you could just give that losing side a magic eye to... Say, you found this magic sword. Et voila! Suddenly the heroes and the Overlord are playing a tense game. And also, if that side goes on to win, it doesn't matter. Because the players can all sign a verbal agreement like, okay, I'm the <laughs> Overlord, I need some XP because I'm getting trounced by the heroes. If I go on to win, it will be like a Pyrrhic victory, but 
you know, where the heroes didn't really win, but it doesn't matter. You... There are so many games I've played where we've, we're, we're playing something and someone says, I'm removing this card from the game, I'm moving this thing. Yeah, like we just, uh I'm trying to think of a specific... It could be like a single... It's not, but it could be like a single card in Race for the Galaxy or a single tile and just saying, right, we're not having this in this because I feel that whoever picks it up uh, you know, randomly picks it up has too much of an Well, advantage. I have heard people. The, the, the simplest one is Carcassonne. I've heard basically anyone say that if you draw the um, monk, the, the monastery, the abbey in Carcassonne, that's basically nine. I mean, that's like, what, eight points right there? If you've got a free dude to put on it. Still. Uh, well, I disagree with that, but then that's up to people who bought the game if they want to play it. And yes. they can, that's okay. Have we got some other questions about Descent? Uh, we do. We've got one that I don't understand. And it's uh, it's from someone called Lay. Just called Lay. Like L-E-Y. I don't know what that is. Um, Lay? Lay. Lay says, Are the Shadow Dragons in Descent 2nd Edition balanced? Is there ever a reason not to pick them? I don't know the Shadow Dragons. Do you know them? Yeah, they're in, they're in 2.0. Um, the Shadow Dragons are a creature. Where I've just never used them. If you're adjacent to them, I think, I think and you try and hit them, uh, you might just fail. Um, because they're but there's only two of them um, I have found they're not that good uh, I, I re... but this is I really enjoy that I've played the Shadow Dragons they certainly don't seem that good but he's having a great time with them um, the thing that I've heard well why don't you read the other question but see look isn't this great someone playing Descent has decided the Shadow Dragons are like are ridiculous that's absolutely not my experience at all well uh, a different. this is quite a different question actually from someone called Ed just called Ed again. Why Just do people one name? One name? Like Madonna. <laughs> Ed says, why would I play Descent when I could just stand in my kitchen door and stop people from getting past? <laughs> now see, that's that's good. Do you, do you follow that one? No, why I don't understand. Descent is, a, well, Paul and people at home, Descent is a game, especially in second edition, of trying to get to objectives and trying to do objectives. Which means more so even than in first edition, which was a lot about dealing damage, it's about stopping the heroes from getting where they want the to way. go. Of standing in the way. So the, the the kind of hack that I've heard, the most awkward thing about descent is that is putting hellhounds sideways. Um, as I understand it, that's a, that's oh, I think we mathematically had quite a lot of that in first edition as well. We had a lot of yes. This is a two by one miniature that's longer because it's, it's a dog. It's yes. like a wolf on all fours. A lot of dogs in real life are but two a, by one. Yes. Uh, and, Except for pugs. But corridors are also two squares wide, so if you put a bunch of hellhounds to, along, you have to get through all of them in order to get past. It's a game of parking dogs. Basically a game of parking dogs. Um, I do that, remember that being something of a thing. As much campaign. as I defend Descent, this is something that I cannot, I cannot defend. Uh, parking hellhounds sideways. No. House rule it again. We have, you, it's a, probably a very easy thing to house rule. To say that's nonsense, don't. <laughs> well, yeah. If you if you can come up with, uh, I'm sure that it, there's a very acceptable workaround for just saying, well, you need to point this way because and like like creatures that are that are long must always face towards the heroes or something. Something like that. It yeah. doesn't. But yeah, this. Yeah. Are you not convinced now? Well, no. This is the first criticism I've heard. This actually, like, yeah, no, descent is a bit silly. Um, but it's well, it's just not a perfect game is it I've, I've now run out of steam the whole, broken. the whole podcast I've been talking about like no the readers are wrong and this is this is how this is and Descent isn't right parking hellhounds sideways in corridors I I cannot I cannot defend but I can tell you this I don't care you know what happened in my last game of Descent is a thief uh, the whole party were trapped by dragons and ogres and then the thief vanished and reappeared and threw a throwing knife that killed my lieutenant who was on like one hit point with the longest shot in the world, <laughs> and it was so good that as players and me and the ogre, we all cheered. And that's, that 
That's a mechanic where you think you're on the back foot and you flip things around. Because of random that moment chance. of heroism. Yeah, it's ra- well, random chance or risk. Was it taking a risk? It was because... an absurd risk, but it was a kind of all or nothing. Kind of we're going to lose anyway. Yeah, it was great. Um, and I think Overlord is kind of it's the advantage of having theme in these games is that when something cool happens, even if it's not your turn, you can go, okay, that that was quite. This that is was quite awesome. this is a thing I remember from many tabletop role playing sessions. Is and this is a thing why I still like having dice in games is something desperate you try and you roll the die and you don't no one has to fudge the story no one has to say oh well you just happen to succeed or you grab onto a plank of wood or you you claw at the edge of the cliff you roll a die you roll a 20 and you go i did the thing <laughs> and because you can only do that about one in 20 times a lot of the time it's not going to work so it's it's fine and i like that i like that uh, a thief stabbed you <laughs> your character I mean. but that, you know that's that's someone taking a risk and going for a thing and a lot of the time that won't work no. So that's okay. That's all I'm good. fine with that. I just, it's just marvellous. That's Descent for me. And yeah, again, it comes down to players. If you're going if you're going to play Pandemic, don't play with that player who's going to order everyone what to do. If you're going to play Descent, don't make the Overlord a guy who parks hell and sideways in corridors. Um, these are games and they are most fallible when played with people who are knobs. <laughs> so uh, it's very good then if I get, move on to a question from someone called Vartez. Vartez? Vartez. V-A-R-T-E-S-Z. Uh, who says what should I play if I want to play Descent but don't have the time this you know segues us away from Descent well what defines Descent moving miniatures on a board moving miniatures or the on dungeon board fantasy dungeon exploration hitting things and uh, I immediately wonder if Dungeon Quest is an answer to that oh, man. it's quicker <laughs> Is Dungeon Quest even in print? I'm pretty sure the pe- the nine people in the world who wanted to play Dungeon Quest bought Dungeon Quest and now it's but not it, in print it, anymore. It must, I mean, it was reprinted. It must be around, is it not? I'd be really sad if it's not. Tell you what, you start telling people what Dungeon Quest is while I Google it. Dungeon Quest is a wonderful player game. You can play it solo, if you like, which is lovely. It's a bit like a roguelike, I suppose. Uh, like you used to play in the 80s or probably still play today on your PC computer because why would you own a console? Basically, it's a tile-laying game where as you explore a dungeon board, you pull tiles out of a bag or wherever they are, and they're all different rooms in the dungeon. It's completely randomly generated. So the dungeon could be incredibly hard, it could be incredibly easy, it could be incredibly logical in its layout. As you enter each room, you inevitably draw a card of some sort, and that would be a monster to fight or a trap to deal with or a problem to overcome. And it doesn't really care about balance, which is the... No, I seem to remember it. going into a tomb and walking around in circles like a sort of like a lost animal. I once played, this is ages ago, I once played a game with a guy I didn't like and he died in the second room and I was so happy. <laughs> because he happened to pick a character with no armour and the trap that went off uh, would kill him immediately based on whether he passed an armour roll or not and so he didn't and he died. <laughs> but it, it is that, it's just... Who's that? I just, I, I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> um... But I, okay, so but it is—it's just stuff. If you're after you. sort of like colourful comedy, dance, I've just seen online. It looks like there are a few copies still floating around, but I don't Ooh. think it's in print anymore. Wow, I didn't um, realise. Yeah, well, it's—it was yeah, fantasy flight are a bit tricky like that. Um, I would perhaps suggest Cutthroat Caverns, which I will be covering more. Mm, yes, Cutthroat Caverns is uh, not quite like Descent, but it's similar kind of fantasy, joyous, random chance thing. Uh, I, oh, I'm so looking forward to reviewing this one. Cutthroat Caverns is three to six players go into a dungeon. They have to fight ten monsters. Um, you have a hand of cards each, and on your and then you'll fight the monster each by p- putting a card face down in initiative order. So let's say, Paul, you're going first. Okay. The orc has 100 hit points. Oh, you, have no. a, you have a bunch of cards. You could do 50 damage. You could do 10 damage. 
you could not do anything. <laughs> you could poke it with a stick, which does zero damage. The thing is, is that at the end of the game, after killing ten monsters, the person who's killed the most monsters or get the most prestige wins the game, and they're the only winner. However, if some of you die, <laughs> like, like for example, in the case of the orc, you go, "Well, I'm not going to land the killing blow, so I'll just poke it with a stick." Note then, as a group, you fail to kill the orc that round. The orc then hits one of you randomly for fifty damage. Um, so you're you're smiling because he's hitting other people fifty damage, and then maybe later on you kill it and get the prestige. The thing is, you're now fostering ill will between the other players. Oh yeah. And as players die, you know, like, let's say then I die as a result of your laziness, um, the monsters don't get any easier. So if you don't work together at least initially, then none of you will get out alive because eventually be one person fighting a dragon and you're just fucked. It it is a game of being just enough of a jerk to stay alive. (laughs) But it is, isn't it? Until the very end of the game when suddenly everyone just goes mental. It's got that luck pushing and hedge betting and keeping an eye on everyone to see when they're going to fall over. Yeah, it's kind of a descent game that has less time and has less requirements because it has almost no pieces and uh, frankly you're all simultaneously playing Overlord. Um, it's not a it's not an ideal thing. I guess if he wants tactical miniatures moving around, all of those games are pretty long. They tend to be, don't they? Yeah. I mean, even a, we've had quick games of like Memoir, which is tactical miniatures, war soldiers moving around. Yeah, and they've been thir- never less than thirty minutes. Well, the new edition of Battle Lore is coming out, which is kind of tactical fantasy army in the same universe as Descent. Oh, uh, which I don't is, know very much about that. I've yeah. seen it, but I've never played it. It's coming soon, I think, or might oh, already really? be out. Um, but yeah, maybe if you want fantasy descent universe stuff, ordering armies, battle or go for that. Oh. Should we? Uh, should we wrap up this? Well, post-post? we're out of questions. We are, um, and I'm out, out of descent, time. I'm out of descent juice. I've now taken everything off. I have to put it all back on now. Oh yeah, I'll do it in a minute because I'm feeling really free. Okay. Um, just look at this. Look, it can go in all directions. Um, I don't understand. So, oh, quick thank you to everybody, actually. I want to do a quick thank you. Go because on. last podcast, we asked everybody to rate uh, the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. Oh, yes. And now, now, thanks to you all rating us on iTunes and on the podcast shop on iPads and iPhones. Yeah. We are now 19th, I think, out of 20 in, in not just other games, which is the kind of loser shoot that all podcast, <laughs> a board gaming podcast get put down, but in games in general. Gaming generally. We've just, we've really climbed up. So. It's quite remarkable. All thanks to you guys. So if you guys uh, were listening to the podcast last week and thought to yourselves, hey, you know what? I can't be asked to upvote them. The people who did pushed us to night slot number 19 so if if you guys can just shake yourselves from your reverie and <laughs> and uh, and go and rate us on iTunes or, or iPads or iPhones then uh, oh my god because we could get even higher up this and get even more eyes on the podcast and that means more fans more subscribers and more shall sit down for you guys and more questions for us to answer oh f- I didn't think of this let's not get rated at all but yeah thank you so much for voting uh, and generally do share the podcast do share videos do retweet if you have a friend who does a commute and he says and he says bill i hate my drive because i've got nothing to do in the car and but i love board games then you could say frank put this on and a guaranteed crash (laughs) yes immediately yes no hang on this Um, isn't a good idea okay what board game do you want to play i'm bored of podcasting now I was still, I was still thanking. I was just saying, well, you know, we've, we've, we've organically kind of built our audience, Come and, on. and you know, right. it's really, not, it's from these Good. people. All right, stop okay. hitting me again! Why do you have to every time? Ah! Bye, everybody. Ah. Hang on, I'm going to take care of this guy. Ah!